fellow freak shows, I'm Lorraine. And I'm Amanda, and welcome to Monsters of the Midwest. Hey there, welcome on back. We are back with another crazy, crazy, true crime two-parter episode. Awesome. Two-parter again. Yeah, I tried to make it one part, but there's just so much. There's so much crazy shit that happens in this particular uh, case that I just, I can't, I can't do it justice with just one episode. So it's a twofer. Awesome. And uh, yeah, I, it hits really close to home. Because um, it's just, it's an interesting case about people who um, are less fortunate, I guess. And it really shows, like, not only the, um, the way that something can drag you down drastically and make you become a person that you didn't think you would, but a... um, just a tragic situation that it's avoidable if you see the signs, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to talk about Sean Great. Now, this man, he is, quite frankly, a Midwestern monster that was recently discovered as a serial killer. So... He his original arrest was in 2016, which really isn't that far. It's not that no. far back. And um, so he was a drifter who he was from Ohio. He was born and raised in Ohio. He he never really moved to another state as far as I know. But he frequently moved around in a specific area in Ashland County. So. He didn't travel very far either. What What's in Ashland County? What part of Ohio is that? Is that like uh, Ma- Marion, Ohio? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's okay. Some, like smack Ooh. dab in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marion's a rough area for those who have not driven through. I mean, you have to drive, at least where we're from, you have to drive through Marion on 75 to get like all the big places like Dayton, Cincinnati, Cleveland, all that. You right. have to drive through there. And it is a weird vibe there. I mean, the prison is there, obviously, the big prison. I think there's mm-hmm. a women's prison too. Aren't they yeah. both in Marion? They're yeah. in um there's one in Mansfield, which isn't that far Mansfield. away. Mansfield. Okay. Yeah. Same kind of distinct area. Yeah, which there is another very, very famous place in Mansfield that I am going to try our damnedest to get us to record a live podcast episode there. So can you guess what it is? And I'm gonna try our damnedest to get you to spend the night there because that's also an option. <laughs> <laughs> it is the Ohio State reformatory it is the prison that shawshank redemption was actually filmed in so we're gonna try we're gonna try but that is right around where this area is he is a convicted rapist who murdered five women and he was caught when a sixth woman called authorities from a house sean took her to to spend time with her um god Yeah, so this victim is being called Jane Doe and everything because she was held captive, tortured, and raped. So I'm going to warn you, trigger warning, there 
our topics of torture, captivity, rape, um, other sexual assault, things like that. Now, this is crazy. Like, the beginning of this whole, um, before he gets arrested for all of these crimes that I, I just told you about, he does things in a weird way, which also become a pattern. So Jane found Sean's cell phone, which um, I'm assuming is like a government phone because he was homeless. Oh, he got that Obama phone. 300 minutes a month, man. (laughs) Right. So I had one. I mean, no judgment. I had one. (laughs) Yeah. Jane found Sean's cell phone and frantically dialed 911 to get help when Sean was sleeping just feet away from her. So in the 911 call, you can hear her whispering to the dispatcher that she was abducted by Sean Great and she was being held captive by him. Uh, She describes the house being by the 4th Street laundromat and she says it like the laundromat's across the street from the houses and there's two houses across from there that are almost identical so she doesn't know the address, but she tells the dispatch that it's across the street from the laundromat. I feel like I may have heard that 911 call. Like this, Oh, it's, it's everywhere. His, his name doesn't sound familiar to me, but I looked up the picture, like, as you were explaining it. And I remember us talking about it, that you were going to do this case. But I, for some reason, I cannot pinpoint, even though that it's so close to now, I cannot pinpoint this case. So, But I feel like I remember that... Um, that 911 yeah. call. Yeah, yeah. So she tells um, the 911 operator that she believes Sean broke into the house and he's squatting there. So she doesn't really know the address. She never really paid attention to the address at all. And the home had electricity, but no running water. The living conditions were deplorable. I mean, there was just shit all over the place. It was really unkept. You know, like someone just, they just up and left the house. And never cleaned it. Mm. Yeah. So a realtor's nightmare. Yeah, no kidding. Jane goes on to say that she's scared that he's going to wake up and hear her. So please send somebody quick. So the 911 call is scary because at one point you can hear her say, Oh shit, oh shit, I woke him up. Please hurry. And she's like whispering this. The dispatcher then asks Jane if she can get out of the bedroom at all. And at first, she says that the door is locked and she like it's closed and she can't um, get out. But the operator then asks if she can get out of the bedroom, um, and tells tells her that if she can, any way possible, that she needs to get out of there. Obviously, um, it's an older house, so there's older locks on the doors. You know, like the lock that comes with the um, the handle. Right. It's like it's like one of those. So Jane finally gets out of the bedroom and she goes out to the door, which is the back door of the house, to see if the police are around. And the the door has it's like two thirds wood and then the top panel is like the larger window. So she could see outside that window the door. She said she can hear the police finally when she's talking to dispatch. And then Jane musters up the courage to get all the way out, out into where the police can see her, which is really, really close to that window. And 
on the call there was like a little confusion as as to if like the door was locked or not. I don't know if she was just so scared she was having trouble opening the door or if it was locked and she was having a hard time with it. So she asked the operator to tell the police to come back because they're checking out the other house. Like she can see them, but they're not coming to the house. So it's like she doesn't want them to leave. So she's telling them, please, please don't leave. And finally, the police see see her in the window and they open the door and tell her to hurry up and get out of there. Now, Jane is safe and in good hands because she's she's with the police officers now. Then they go. The police go in the house and tell Sean to wake up. He was completely nude, so the police handcuffed him. Then they dressed him in a pair of shorts before taking him to the station for questioning. So what ended up happening was during the um, 911 call, the police tell Jane to wait outside. But she's completely nude. She has no clothes on. She's completely terrified. And she just she needed help so badly. Then the police, yeah, when the police come back inside the house, there's three of them. uh, The sergeant that was in charge, he told her to come back inside because she didn't have any clothes on and just wait in the bathroom that's the closest away from the exit. And if something were to happen during the um, during the arrest, because they don't know what he's got on him, if he has a weapon, if he woke up, whatever, to hurry up and run back out of the house. So... At least he had the wherewithal to do that for her because they couldn't find anything to wrap her up in. God. Yeah. So. Shower curtain something, man. You know, there wasn't. At at that point, everybody can see my business because fuck if I'm going back in that house. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Exactly. So. Give me give me an emergency blanket in your trunk. I know you got one. You have to have (laughs) one of those silver things. You know, they have to. Yeah. Something. this woman had been held captive at the home for three days, in which time she had been tied to various pieces of furniture and been physically and sexually assaulted by great the whole entire time. So, yeah. So that was initially what got him to the police station to reveal that he's done much, much worse. And we'll get into that. Well, thank God for that queen that, you know, missed her life to call. Thank God for her. Exactly. So we're going to talk about his life, his early life, his, you know, how he grew up, things like that. Now, he was born in Marion, Ohio on August 8th, 1976 to Terry Great and Teresa McFarlane. So for the most part, his childhood was just normal. You know, he didn't do anything weird. He didn't do anything like, oh, he tortured animals. He didn't do anything like that. He was normal and hung out with the neighborhood kids, went to the, you know, rec center or the park, whatever. So, Great's mother, Teresa, met Terry at a bar called Baja Boots. Um, Okay. She was a dancer there. She had just recently been divorced from an abusive marriage when she met Terry at her workplace. So uh, Teresa married her first husband when she was 14. Oh, God. Yeah. Her previous marriage produced a child. Um, Her name was Barbara, Sean's half-sister. So she was trying to make ends meet by, you know, stripping. Right. Uh, Yeah. You do what you got to do, right? 
for sure. So Barbara and Terry had gotten married in 1974 and had two children, Jason and Sean. So Sean is the youngest. Um, now, Barbara describes mom and stepdad's marriage to be very, like, on again, off again, uh, claiming there was... Teresa was neglectful and irresponsible, leaving the kids to go on weekend benders and not being seen till Sunday night. Or, you know, she'd be gone more often than that. Sean was held back in kindergarten and first grade due to his struggling in school. And I would assume that's, you know, it's not easy for a child to figure out school and your home life is broken and... Right, no consistency or anything, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sean's parents end up divorcing. I mean, we all saw it coming. Right, exactly. August 6, 1982. So Sean was six when the two split up. Despite having issues at home uh, and in school, Sean, he was said to be very charming, friendly. He was a, he was a good kid. He's a fucking she, Leo. That's why. That's what they do. That's, that's their <laughs> whole thing. When Sean was 11, his mother just up and left the family for a man who lived in Kentucky. Oh, Sean perfect. De- yeah, Sean decides he's just going to stay with his father um, due to the fact that he just, he didn't like mommy's new man. So he didn't want to go. And, you know, it is what it is. So... Sean ended up attending River Valley High School in uh, Celedonia, or Caledonia. I don't know how you guys pronounce it, but I think it's Celedonia, Ohio. This little, little tiny town only had a population of 577 people, according to the the 2010 census. Now, there could be more now, there could be less, but it's pretty fucking small, in my opinion. Um, (laughs) There's probably not anymore. Let's Let's be real here. Come on. Right. Where's that at? <laughs> um, great play baseball on the high school team, but a broken arm that needed surgery and the discovery of a tumor led to the end of his baseball career. And from that point, he became severely depressed because I feel like in a way he thought that maybe this is my ticket out of this one horse town, you know, yep. so he got his hopes dashed because he could never play again. And I can semi-empathize with that because, like, I was in cheerleading for almost 14 years total. Um, and then I got injured, for those who know me, know all about my broken fucking back <laughs> and all that. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, at that time in my life, like, that was such an important piece. Like, that's where I thought, oh, I'm going to go cheer for Ohio State. I'm going to do this. And it, it, like, it was like most of my dreams past uh. high school were all revolved around that. And then I got hurt. So it's like, I didn't right. have a plan B. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Now this, you know, so I can totally empathize with that like that was you know not my ticket out because that wasn't my only factor but that was my plan and now my plan has been completely derailed yeah and when you're a kid you don't have too many plans you know like that's that's the number one goal what am I gonna do when I get get older and if that if that doesn't work out then I mean I could tell that he's he's really gone through the ringer his home life sucks his family has been broken apart mom left I mean, it's it's a nightmare. Right. Now he found so, something, like, solid he could cling to, and then now, without beyond his control, yet again, something happens. Right. So check this. Sean's father was granted custody of the two boys in 1994, but not soon after Sean was 
arrested for grabbing his girlfriend's throat. Uh, it seemed as though his anger uh, really started to get out of control around you know the end of his high school years. He, although he you know went on a bender as far as like depression goes, he still managed to graduate. You know he didn't um, he didn't leave school or. I'm surprised, to be honest. Yeah, that's kind of shocking. Mm-hmm. So, okay, October 23rd, 1996. Sean and another person broke into a home in Marion County to steal money and jewelry. And uh, this little B&E right here gave Sean a felony burglary charge. And in January of 97, he was sentenced to four years in jail. Well, so, here's the spiral. <laughs> the starting sucks. of the spiral. But I don't know if it was his charm or his, you know, good behavior or however he got it, but he only served 10 months. So he was released. And I'm just going to briefly talk about, like, growing up in the inner city and being around drugs and crime and stuff and how it could possibly shape somebody. Um, You know, I had to deal with a lot of... uh, Cops bringing my dad home from the bar and, uh, you know, shootings in my neighborhood when I was growing up. So to want to get out of that so bad, but then it keeps pulling you in. It's like it's like um, the gravitational pull of the inner city. Like if you feel it and it takes you in, that's it. And it's hard. It's like it's like a never ending cycle going to jail, getting out of jail, things like that. It's just, it's hard to break. It's hard to break that um, habit, if you will. So, in 2005, Sean and Christina Hildreth met through uh, Christina's sister. Her sister worked at a local gas station, and Sean used to frequent there. And I'm sure he was a talker, he was a charmer. Um, And then the two end up meeting. Christina and Sean hit it off, and soon after, you know, they started talking, seeing each other. They decide it's a good idea to move into an apartment together um, right around Christmas time. And they worst time to move. Whose who's uh, idea was that? <laughs> Shit, this right. is Ohio in the winter. Come on. Yeah. So Christina says he was a charmer. She's quoted even in saying, "quote It was the way he would look at you, like you were so special to him." And you're like, okay, all right, I get it. But behind the charmer was a monster. And you know already that he got out of control and choked one of his high school girlfriends. Now he's growing up, you know, so it doesn't seem like it's going to get any better. She said that he would get upset about little things most people wouldn't even get upset over. So she's quoted saying we argued a lot about the fact that he would not get a job and he was always doing things to make me late for work trying to get me fired he wanted me to quit working and he said his dad would pay our bills and then she continues I never did and he didn't like it I think he wanted to isolate me from others and I I thought to myself well yeah that's exactly what it sounds right now he's an adult. I mean, it's 2005. He doesn't have a job. So. Yeah, and you, mo- you date those ones that are, you know, 
an adult. You can't fucking change them. Please don't think that you can change an older man into something that, you know. Right. I, nope. I can give you all some examples, plenty of examples, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so she just, she didn't know it at the time because the relationship was so, um, it was so explosive at first and, and everything happened so fast. And you know that, you know that type of feeling. And now when she moves in with this man, she has, she has kids, but she doesn't have custody of them. So they would visit. And I'm glad I'm glad and I'm not glad. I'm glad because the children didn't have to see what was going on. I'm not glad because she shouldn't have gotten her kids taken away. But Christina said Sean would hit and choke her. So she was so afraid to leave him. And he would apologize and say he wouldn't do it again. And his anger got Mm -hmm. the best of him. And, you know, they always say typical abusive relationship. They're they're not going to change. Now, the three children, they would come over on the weekends and spend time with their mother. But Sean didn't like it. He, took, he didn't like the kids. He, he'd be mean to them even, so they wouldn't really want to come over. Just, you know, on the off chance that they would say something to her sister. and I don't really want to go over there. That guy's mean, you know. Then he would get his way. But, like, so, he, he strived for... I'm sure attention from his own mother or, you know, his father, whomever growing up and he got zero attention. So now as an adult, he's retaliating in the only way he knows how, because he's still thinking from that like childhood mind, you know, exactly traumatic state. And he's like, no, I have her full attention. We live together, blah, blah, blah. She's mine property. So they're just taking away the attention that she's supposed to be giving me. Like I deserve that. Exactly. And he couldn't wait for him to leave so he could have Christina all to himself. So after Sean gets arrested for all of this other stuff that I'm going to talk about, Christina's eldest son, um, he's 17 at the time that I read this article um, in 2016, says he's not surprised by what they're seeing on the news because he could tell that something was really off about this guy. And if a kid is telling you that, and that was, you know, in 2005, so 2016, that kid was young at the time. Right. And you can see it then. It's definitely apparent to those around you. So 2010, there's a domestic dispute in the apartment that turns physical, arguing over keeping the apartment clean since Sean wasn't working. Christina just told him, hey, I need you to clean up this apartment if you want a roof over your head and hot meals and hot water, you know, I'm letting you live here. The least you can do is clean it up. And he would Ooh, do girl. like a <laughs> he would he would do a little bit and then just lounge around the rest of the day. Fuck so that. Get, I'm triggered. <laughs> yeah. Been there. Been there. Get, get this. He was demanding money from her for the stuff that he did do. Like he was a kid that needed his allowance for doing chores. What is that? Yeah. So Christina refuses to give him any money for simply keeping up with the housework because newsflash, she's an adult. Uh, Right. He was already getting a free place to live and now demanding from her money from her. I don't think so. 
it's like Sean's you're lucky you're lucky I'm even here like and obviously right. they're in a relationship there's probably some physical activity he's lucky to be getting that too now he wants a fucking allowance eat your grilled cheese and shut the fuck up do the dishes right so Sean becomes angry and he pushes her over the couch so he pushed her she hit the back of her head and Sean ends up giving her a black eye and breaking one of her hands during the scuffle so he is pushing and shoving and punching her. And now the damage is done. You know, Christina's begging to go to the ER because she needs medical attention. Right. You know, her hands starting to swell, starting to turn black and blue. She's like, um, hello, you know, uh, fun time's over. It's time to get serious. <laughs> but Sean, he wasn't having it at first. He's like, no, you did this. You caused all this. Sean finally gives in and says, quote, you better tell him you fell, which that happens far too often when people get hurt during domestic disputes. So at the hospital, not not shocked or um, anything at all, but he never left her side the whole time. And well, of course, course not. not. He doesn't want her to tell any of the truth story, you know. Right. So she's in the waiting room filling out the paperwork. Then they send her to triage, and the triage nurse came and asked her those questions about her injuries, and then asked Christina the question, do you feel safe at home? Right. Now, he's, he's sitting right here. So she says, of course I had to say yes, because he's sitting right here. He's See, literally they, right next to me. They're supposed to take everybody out of the room. Like, right. they so, even, like, like, they, like, last weekend, um, Zach went, my son, my oldest, he went to the hospital to get a breathing treatment. He suffers from asthma or whatever. They made me leave the room to ask him those questions. You know what I mean? So they even make parents leave the room to ask you that not good on that hospital for doing that. Yeah. So Christina, in the article that I read, she said, if, if you think the abuser is sitting right next to that person, the, the staff should wait until they are separated. Absolutely. Which, which, duh, that makes perfect sense, especially if they think that he's the one that caused it, right? So as the x-ray technician comes into the room, so now she's being taken back into an exam room. Right. Uh, they ask Sean to leave because, duh, it's an x-ray. So Right. Wouldn't want to expose him, you. Yeah, they tell him to go back to the waiting room. And as soon as he leaves the room, Christina's like, oh, my God, he's the one that caused all the injuries. I couldn't say it before because he was sitting right next to me. And the doctor just said, I know because of the types of injuries that you sustained were not consistent with a slip and fall. You don't have a broken hand, a black eye and a bump on the back of your head if you slipped and fell forward and tried to catch yourself. So not very smooth, but that doctor caught very, very good um he he caught it right on the head and i'm so happy that he did that because probably saved her life i'm hoping they already called authorities because they knew that it wasn't it wasn't a slip and fall so the hospital staff call and the police pull up to the emergency room doors and sean sees them and just takes off so they don't know who he's look who they're looking for when he takes off, so he he finally just gets away. And they're still on the hunt for him, so they don't stop. And 
the police then, after after everything's taken care of and she gets her wounds taken care of, Christina and her mom get accompanied by police to go to the apartment to go grab some things because clearly it's not safe there. And they don't know if and when he's going to come back. So they want to just make sure that they're with her in case he's there. Good, good. Yeah, good on him. And Christina, unfortunately, forgot to grab some things. And an hour later, she heads back to the apartment by herself. No, no. Yeah. So as she walks in the apartment, Christina noticed that there was a hammer on the countertop that wasn't there before. Also, the toilet seat was up. So anybody that lives with women knows that motherfucking seat better not be up. So Christina had an eerie feeling, and she turned to leave. And while heading to the door, she got face-to-face with Sean, and the door was closed behind him. So he corners her. He starts beating her up. And when one of the neighbors hear what's going on, they call the police to report a domestic dispute. And good for them, too, because a lot of people just stay away from that. And it must have been been up. Hell of a commotion because if when I lived in an apartment, if I heard some banging or something, if I heard yelling too, I would be a little concerned. But mostly it's like, you know, furniture being moved or if you live above or below someone, you know, that type of like loud banging noise, someone walking. But this was like a fight. You could tell. Right. So we neighbor- had. A- oh, go ahead. Go. You're, you're fine. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, because um, my ex like. At her apartment, you could hear the neighbors having domestic disputes very, very often. And they would scream and, like, throw stuff or whatever, hit the wall. Like, because her bedroom was next to their, I guess, living room wall. And you heard all of it. And then it's like you hear it every day, like, in a row. And then all of a sudden you hear nothing. You're like, oh, shit. Did he kill her? Somebody died? Right. Oh, my God. I better not see anything on Snapped. It's just, it's so crazy. Like, I used to live in an area where the apartments were facing each other. So like all of our balconies were facing the parking lot. And Mm -hmm. there was a couple that was on the third floor and they would yell and scream at each other like at least once a month. I mean, I don't know if it was like just out of habit they did it or whatever, but they were just horrible to each other. And one time I was like just falling asleep and they start arguing or whatever and I thought that I saw her fly off the balcony. It was oh, like the, the craziest thing. I was like, oh, my God, like everyone's calling 911. So when I talked to dispatch, I was like, oh, my God, somebody just threw someone. Oh, yeah, yeah, we already know. We're, we already sent police out there. And it was just so wild. So, like, good on these people for knocking on the door because they knock on the door. So her neighbors... They're, they're just trying to see what's going on. Christina yells at the neighbors, everything's fine. All the while, Sean has a hammer at her head, like threatening to oh bash her God. head in. She told him everything was fine, even though she's never been so scared in her life, because he's telling her, like, don't say anything. So Sean also told Christina that he watched everything they did during their first trip to the apartment with the police. You want to know how? God, where was he hiding? In, like, the vents or some shit? He cut out the inside of the love seat, and he was hiding inside (gasps) it. Yeah. What 
a fucking stalker, right? Oh my god, you can't make that shit up. Holy fuck. Yeah. So while all this is going on, the dispute's happening. Now she's being pinned down, hammer to her head. Christina thinks of a plan to get him away from her. And I don't know if it was just like, you know, survival mode or whatever, but she told him she would give him all the money she had, which was only $20, if that tells you anything. She would drive, take him to Marion, drive him to his dad's house to run from the police because he knows that they're after him after what happened at the hospital. Right. Right. Finally, you know, uh, he he wasn't taking it at first. He's like, oh, hell no. I don't believe you for one second. And then she threw in the Vicodin that were prescribed to her at the second trip to the hospital. And finally, he was like, all right. All right, I believe you. Let's go. Let's make a plan. So Damn. here's the plan. The plan was for him to sneak out of the apartment in the middle of the night so nobody sees him run through a wooded area and meet her at a factory parking lot to pick him up and take him to his dad's house in Marion. <laughs> However, instead of meeting him, like she said, she went straight to the police. She's like, oh, hell no, I ain't meeting you out there. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Absolutely not. But really, really great thinking on her part and knowing what his weaknesses are, you know? Shit, maybe I better get some, like, get a prescription, just carry it with me just in case. Shit, like. Yeah. That's all it takes these days? That's crazy. So, Sean, he he left. You know, he he knew. He's like, oh, she's not picking me up, fucking bitch, whatever. And he took off. And he's on the run now. So, Christina knew Sean better than that. And she knew that he would be back to the apartment because he ain't got nowhere else to fucking go. Right. So... We interrupt your regularly scheduled debauchery to talk to you about some other cool cats. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. The show really feels like just kicking back with us at home and chatting about monsters and tragedies, but having a few laughs along the way. Just like we'd be doing if the mics were off, frankly. (laughs) You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. Forever and ever and ever. What do you think? Their links are in the description, so go check them out, you turkeys. Time to agitate the gravel and get back to Coolsville. She devised a plan with local police to meet on a Saturday at the bowling alley parking lot near the apartment complex. When Christina entered the apartment, the police would be following her. So Sean's in the apartment. And then she'll come and the police will be right behind her. 
and Sean had nowhere to go. So as soon as that happened, they put their plan in motion, and Sean got arrested right on the spot. Talk about knowing someone's patterns. Right. That was really that was good really on her. good thinking. Mm-hmm. So check this out. Sean was only originally sentenced 30 days in jail. 30 days. That's bizarre. Um, like all the fat, like everything they know. You know what I mean? Oh and like all my how goodness. Jeez. This man hid in my love seat and you're only right. going to give him 30 days. That's not enough to like find a new place, <laughs> you know? So this dude, he would call Christina's place of employment to try to get a hold of her nonstop through collect calls. And she went on a letter writing spree, you know, a letter writing campaign to judge Sean uh, Luthold explaining to him what a danger this guy is. I mean, he's nuts. He hid in my couch and waited for me to come home, and he watched me every, every move that I make. He knows where I live. He knows where I works. So the, the judge ended up giving him the maximum sentence for domestic violence, which is six months. I mean, that's the maximum that he could do. God. But Christina said she's lucky to be alive, you know, after what yeah. she encountered. Absolutely. Yeah, she was interviewed by someone uh, for the Galleon Inquirer in 2016 at the time. Um, She said she thinks that there's more victims than what, um, you know, what he's being accused of. And uh, I know, I know that she has to feel some sense of relief after all of this, you know, all of him getting caught and everything because when her inter- when they interviewed her, he had already been arrested. So this is such a relief for her, and, and she's hoping that he gets the maximum for his crimes, you know. And now the last part of this episode, um, I'm going to talk about his ex-wife, you know, now ex-wife. Oh God! Where? How long after this uh, situation did he get? Did he find a a woman to marry him? Um, uh, okay, so in 2011, all right. She uh, he's being released from jail, you know, and Sean finds himself homeless, nowhere to go. He you know has the clothes on his back, and he's just he's down and out, right? And he ends up back in Marion where he meets a woman named Amber Bowman. So I'm assuming he's living with his dad or a halfway house or something to that effect after being in jail. Right. And Sean meets this woman, Amber Bowman at a local church. You know, he starts going to church. He's in jail and he's trying, he's trying to find himself. Right. Of course. Amber is a person who always greets people at the door, you know, all new members of the church. She wants everyone to feel welcome. You know, she's a really nice woman. She wants to save somebody. I bet you. She he looks like he needs the saving. (laughs) She said that she introduced herself to Sean and got to know him as a member of the same church. But soon, um, you know, they would start talking. They would start going on dates, and it just kind of flourished, and it was, it was interesting. The, the articles and the interviews and everything that I saw, she was interviewed by Dr. Phil, and it was very 
I mean, it, it's everywhere. It's on YouTube. It's on TV still. It's everywhere. But Amber is she the one interviewed. that like? I, is she the one that had like brown hair, like in a ponytail? It wasn't in a ponytail. Nope. No, but okay. I feel like I saw some, one of them. I, I, I remember the Doctor Phil. I remember that. So she's interviewed by Doctor Phil, and told him that it was a whirlwind romance. You know, normally she wouldn't move this fast, but there was something about him that just draws you close to him. Can I ask so, you what church it was? I don't know. Do you know? I'm just curious. It's not disclosed. But it okay. is in Marion, in the city of Marion, which it's big, but it's not that big. Right. But um, the two really hit it off, you know. they Amber said that uh, Sean was a loving, caring, and attentive man who really enjoyed being a part of the church. Um, and not soon after they start to date, you know, they dated for three months and oh, they found out they're expecting a kid. Oh no. So a month later they get married. So they're together for four months. They have a kid on the way and they're getting married. Um, I'm going to say this is by his design and she got caught up in it because soon after the marriage, the love these two shared and, um, you know, the things that they love to do together start fading at an alarming rate. I mean, oh, it's you think you think yeah. <laughs> Sean slowly starts to isolate Amber from family and friends, just like Christina thought that he was going to do. Right. Mm hmm. During the interview process. I thought this was interesting. Dr. Phil actually asks Amber if she knows what the term love bombing is. She said she doesn't know, so he explains it to her. I'm assuming you know. Me? But if, but if you don't, I'll tell you. I think you should just tell everybody for those who don't know. I'm, I'm aware because they always accuse Scorpios of love bombing. So Yeah. I'm so aware. love bombing is an attempt to influence a person by demonstrations of attention and affection. So psychologists have identified love bombing as a possible part of a cycle of abuse and have warned against it. Um, it's also been described as a psychological manipulation in order to create a feeling of unity within a group against a society perceived as hostile, which kind of sounds like a cult, does it not? Yes, it does. Cult leaders and followers use this technique to get other followers to join by making them feel like they belong. So when you finally succumb to the affection... The cult finally shows their true intentions and always have you begging for more. So this is his M.O. The only difference right. is he only has one person instead of multiple people. And that's scary. So the relationship's fading. Sean's getting irritated by things that wouldn't normally irritate anybody, such as going to church together. She thought he loved doing it. But as we all know, as you can deduce... It's a scam. It's a farce. He doesn't care about going to church. He just wanted to find somebody that he could mooch off of for free, perhaps. Right. Was it tax time? I mean, it could, that could have been a factor, too. <laughs> right. No shit. Since Sean, tis the season. Right. Sean would yell at her from uh, the other end of the room. He's in the shower, getting ready for the day, screaming, slamming things around the house. Uh, one time there was an altercation where he grabbed her by the neck. Because his anger got too intense. So that's where he starts, huh? Soon after that, the altercation became um, 
it became a little uh, quiet because he, I don't know if he did like um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but he was like, oh my God, I'll never do that to you again. And that sounds like something he would say, right? Oh, yeah. Amber said, you could see the anger in his eyes. Like it was, you were looking at a totally different person. And I, I fully believe that that was exactly the case. Right. But you know what? Uh, Amber ends up giving birth to a healthy baby girl after complications, which led her to need a C-section. Now, when she's in the hospital and she's going through all of this, Sean is in and out of the hospital. Um, he's not there for half the delivery. He ends up being in there for the C-section and then leaves soon afterwards. And then the whole next day he's gone. And then he comes back home and wants to be lovey-dovey with the family. It's really stupid, strange behavior. And she recalls, she recalls that, you know, he used to leave the house at weird hours of the, the day and night too like randomly during the beginning of their relationship anyway. Okay. So now uh, (laughs) this is really interesting. She's now trying to search for answers because she, she doesn't know what she's to do. She has a new baby girl. She's supposed to be taken care of. And this dude is giving her the slip. Okay. While Sean is busy one time, his cell phone starts ringing. Uh, she picks Amber picks up the phone and a woman's on the other line asking for Sean. Amber asks who it is and the lady says, oh, it's just a friend. You know, is Sean home? Amber says, well, I'm his wife, so what can I do for you? The woman on the other end says, oh, uh, I didn't know he was married. He said he was living with his sister and his sister just had a baby. Oh, hell no. Hell <laughs> so, no. Yeah, as you can imagine, Amber is pissed. She's like, oh, well, now I get it. I've been scammed. He's been cheating. So she can finally understand the all hours of the day and night, leaving and being sneaking around and weird. After praying about stuff and thinking to herself what she's to do, there's no other option but to divorce. I mean, there... There's a baby here now that needs taken care of. Right. So kicking him out of the house was the best option, you know. While she confronts him about the lady on the phone, he's real cool about it. He just packs up a bag and just leaves. No fighting, no nothing. He just takes off. That's a red fucking flag. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, okay. So not soon after that, though, uh, you know... Mr. Hyde shows his ugly head again and starts sending threatening emails to Amber saying um, he was going to put all of her family members' names in a hat and start picking them off one by one in the grand finale. And he also told her that if you won't let me see my daughter, no one will see her. So, oh my goodness. Like any sane person... She's filing a restraining order. Get the fuck out of here. You are not allowed near my child since you're going to be a monster. And I don't want you anywhere near me. So his charming side starts to emerge again after a little while. He wants to see his daughter. He's really sorry for what he did. Things start to cool off. They cooled off to a point 
where Amber starts missing him and she wants to see him again. That's just postpartum, girl. That's just hormones. Right. I'm like, man, it's the timing is impeccable for the feelings that these people have. So he convinced her to meet up with him, you know, just to talk. Uh, when Amber meets up with him, he's visibly upset and he immediately goes for her. He immediately attacks her. He attempts to rape her, but for some reason, he lets her leave. He just lets her go. And I don't, I don't know if it's guilt. I don't know if it's because that's, you know, the mother of his child or whatever, but he just ends up letting her leave. And then this would be the last time that she ever sees him again. But the next time that she really sees him is on the news, and he's being accused of murder. And she said a wave of total shock came over her, like, I can't believe that. And she thought to herself, that could have been me. Yeah. So on the next episode, I'm going to talk about his victims, what they endured, and um, the trial and the final sentencing. So that was just part one of Mr. Sean Great. But I hope you come back for the next one because the next one's even crazier. If you enjoyed part one of this series, head on over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Monsters of the Midwest pod. Like, follow, share, and subscribe to the pod right on our Facebook page. Also, for all our Apple podcast listeners, rate and review for the old bumpity bump bump up the algorithm. The more we get, the easier people can find us. And... Always remember the code of the Midwest. Don't talk to strangers. Don't go anywhere alone. And lock your damn doors. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday.